And good evening. And welcome inside the Midlife Pilot Podcast, episode 21, uh, where we're going to talk about, uh, well, instrument rating. It's been a topic of uh, a hot topic for us lately and uh, for a lot of reasons, but tonight has a little bit of a twist. We're going to talk about uh, should we get our instrument rating now or are there reasons not to? And uh, we'll kind of dive into some of that. My name is Chris Moran. I'm the Midlife Pilot on YouTube and other places. And uh, to my right, your left, is uh, the one and only Brian Siskind of Music Row. <laughs> Music Row. You do this all the time. Music Row. Like I'm sitting here, you know, there's studios right out here, which by yeah, the way, Music Row is it. just condos now. It's not even... But anyway, hey, uh, how's it going, man? I'm glad you made it. I know you're uh, slammed busy today, and it looks like you're just able to just pick up and place a podcast wherever you happen to be, which is great for everybody here. Yeah, fortunately, we've actually been working up here at the airport on uh, a Wi-Fi project, and we have extended uh, wireless all across the airport now and in our hangars, and so we have really good broadband available to our uh, hangar tents at the airport, which is pretty exciting. Are you sort of like the mayor or something there already, or how's that work? <laughs> Not the mayor. I uh, I am on the uh, I serve as vice president on the uh, airport authority here at the airport, and I run a flying club called Fairmont Flying Club here at the airport with thirty five members and three airplanes, including the beautiful one hundred and fifty uh, sitting behind me. So you're the mayor. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 you know, as we do, we have, we have topics and then people here know very well that we'll start off with a topic and then, you know, we'll see what happens. Things do tend to kind of go their own way and we just kind of roll with it, but, um, but definitely get your messages in our chat and we'll pull them up on the screen, uh, as we're going. And for the more, uh, the larger, you know, audience for us is the listening audience only. Um, so, uh, that's the way we can kind of bring your chat into the audio podcast. So make sure you get all your things in there. And I guess we have to do, we have to do, we, we are terrible at the housekeeping part of podcasting. We're so bad at it. And so we'll just do the uncomfortable thing now and just remind people to do the, uh, you have to like it. You have to, what else you share it or you subscribe or you follow or you, uh, review and just, you know, just go just smear the internet with anything you can find midlife midlife pilot podcast wise with something positive hopefully and uh, maybe that's the best housekeeping we can come up with right now but we're not very good at it that's right but that was pretty well done i have to tell you yeah i mean you know look you know hopefully we'll get to a point where we can start doing like um super chats you know and then uh you know then we'll have maybe enough for i don't know a few gallons of fuel or something um so that would be really cool if we can get to that uh it seems a little presumptuous you know and weird to do the super chat thing don't you think yeah a little i so do have to acknowledge uh, i do have to acknowledge ivy uh in the chat room uh asking did you get permission from the owners of that plane to use our hangar for business. Uh, they are the owners of this plane are, uh, in this, uh, chat and follow our podcast pretty <laughs> regularly, but I do have to remind, uh, Ivy of the, uh, exclusive use, uh, term of our contract, which basically means as the president of the flying club, it's, uh, my hangar and airplane during the uh, term of the lease. So, uh, 
But yes, I'm sure that you and uh, BG would certainly have um, granted permission had I asked. But yeah, uh, I bet you, yeah, you should be proud that I picked this hanger of the three that I had to choose from because it does have the really nice looking tail uh, behind me. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. yeah, thanks for... Uh, now we're even that much more clear on the terms and conditions and uh, seems like you could probably live there if you wanted, you know? I, I kind of do. And I love it up here. Hey, <laughs> yeah. you you have had a busy couple of weeks. I'm sure that you have a quick update for us on your uh, cross country journey. It was quite a uh, quite a <laughs> trek. I followed you very closely on your trip and it looked pretty incredible. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, it was, um, you know, so the way that I'm set up here, you know, it's like I have the airport that's really close to my house where I can rent the flight school planes and do short little jaunts or currency flights. And then I have a club plane that I've access to that's an hour and a half away that I can take long trips in. And so I try to do uh, one long trip every month. Um, and when I say long trip, I mean, it depends on the the length of it, but you know, we did the midlife pilot fly and that kind of got me sort of my teeth cut on really long, you know, uh, cross countries and so I just wanted to do another one. Um, and I didn't have a plan that was the, you know, I think we talked about it, but I just, my plan was to not have a plan. Um, I had a general idea of what I wanted to do based on what weather was available in whichever direction. Um, turned out the weather was best to the West and Southwest. So that was the direction I headed and I went, um, oh, and right before I left, um, the owner of the plane said, you know, the plane was just coming out of a hundred hour, which I didn't love, you know, that it was just worked on. Uh, I mean, I like that it's maintained, but you know, like, let's get a couple flights in with, you know, some other sucker before me. Right. No, but, uh, <laughs> uh, and then he said that there was, uh, uh, some issue with one of the cylinders. I think they replaced one of the cylinders. And so that kind of had my eyebrows raised a little bit. And then he said that there was, uh, an oil leak. Um, the day before I was to take the plane. Um, and then he had the mechanic come and sort that out. And he basically said, you know, Hey, on your first leg of your trip, why don't you make it a short one and just see what's going on? So, you know, everything seemed fine. Uh, I got to the plane, everything looked fine. So I flew from, uh, Winchester, Tennessee to Muscle Shoals, got out, checked everything and I had no problems along the way, got some RC Cola and some moon pies, which they have there. And then fueled up again and then uh, headed to, I guess it was, I want to say Tupelo, Mississippi. Then I went on to, um, I guess it was Greenville, Mississippi. And then I stayed overnight there. I uh, really got a good lesson in how FBOs are interconnected sometimes. And that can be a real benefit. Uh, when I was in, oh, that's right. I was in Tupelo before on my way to Greenville. They said, where are you going? I said, Greenville. They said, you know that FBO closes at five o'clock, right? And I was like, uh and um i said you know this how do you plan on getting around there i was like well i just figured i'd just call an uber or whatever and they were they were like yeah i mean it's a pretty decent size <laughs> and they were like yeah you don't want to there's a lot of areas you just you know what <laughs> why don't we just you know what we we run that fbo too let me just get on the phone here they called uh arranged for me to have the crew car when i got there and arranged for it to um, so for me to just keep it overnight, they didn't care at all. Um, so I stayed in this really cool hotel that's an, on the levee there, right on the Mississippi. It was really cool. Explored around there. Then it went on to, uh, McKinney, Texas. And that was my final destination. Uh, I spent a couple of days there where it got interesting, uh, was on the way back. 
the weather was coming and I got uh, from McKinney to uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, and then had to kind of put it down there for a minute and check what was going on. It wasn't good. I ended up stuck in Shreveport for two nights. So um, it ended up being a great experience. I was diving into weather and um, you know, harder probably than I ever have. And it, I had a small window after being there for two nights where I could get out. Uh, I did some scud running, uh, thanks to, you know, if you haven't heard our episode with Carrie, uh, the ferry pilot, uh, you know, we talked a lot about scud running on that episode. And I, honestly, a lot of the things that he talked about really were in my head, uh, for my trip out of, uh, Shreveport. Uh, I definitely was flying out at about, I don't know, 1900 or 2000, you know, for a while. Uh, and then things slowly improved. And then I just kind of threaded the needle through some thunderstorms and flew. I guess, uh, that was about a four, four hours of flying run total is maybe about six hours each way. But anyway, it was, it was great. I definitely had, a, I'm summarizing a lot, but it was a lot of challenges. I, I felt like when I got back that I had grown a lot as a pilot and that was the, that was the best part of it is you just, you know, I was, I stretched my boundaries healthily without it being uh, something overwhelming or dangerous. Uh, and I had a great adventure. That's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. It looks super fun. I followed a lot of your pictures on Instagram and yeah. uh, obviously had your plane up on flight aware most of the time seeing what you were into, but it, it looked awesome. And uh, I had, I had one moment where uh, when I flew into, when I actually got to McKinney, um, this is the, you know, the thing about when you're, you have your minimums, you know, and you're trying to stick to them and everything. I definitely had a moment where I was like, okay, this is definitely beyond my minimums, but I'm at my destination in McKinney, Texas. You know, I, where else am I going to, like, it's not going to be any better anywhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've got to put this thing down, but it was gusty crosswind about 15 knots. And, uh, you know, uh, I had to do a go around the first time through. And then the second time through, I, I, I got it down. You know, I hadn't had to fight one down like that in a while. It was a very good experience. It was that's fine. Good. Yeah, it was fine. And then the owner of the plane contacted me later. He's like, hey, so I, I, I was following you and I noticed you took an extra lap around the pattern there. Like, what's going on? I was like, I was doing a go around. Yeah, leave me alone. Get off you know, me. Being safe. Go arounds are free. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, it was better for him. He got a little extra cash because you, uh, the Hobbs ran a little more. So Exactly. Um, well, I've balanced out your few weeks of flying by in the last 30 days, having logged 0 0.8 hours. So I have, uh, I've balanced out your like 700 hours with like 0 0.8, <laughs> uh, pretty uneventful, but, uh, I was, I just took a 150 up for a little bit and said, Oh, I still remember how to do this. And so that was that. Hey, so Zach, uh, you can scroll down there, but, uh, I saw it passed his private pilot check ride on Thursday. All right, man. What a huge relief that is, right? It's it's, it's like a weird thing between uh, an accomplishment and just a dire relief. Absolutely. I remember well it well. That's awesome. Good for you. So we've uh, mentioned at the top of the show, we've been talking uh, in our own circles a lot about um, – instrument rating because it seems that that's a place that a lot of us are kind of in and kind of flirting around this um this idea in fact we had a, a patrons only um midlife pilot hangout the other uh the other night where that was a huge topic of conversation was kind of instrument rating and uh i'd have let you set this up this was kind of your concept but i mean we could start by saying 
I don't think there's anyone in the world who would disagree with the notion that that an instrument rating is a is a good thing for a pilot to have. I mean, we'll just get that out of the way first. I mean, I, that's a there are significant safety benefits. There's uh, ability to fly more. I mean, there's a ton of benefits to having one, but. Uh, the timing of when you get it, there are also questions about uh, whether you should jump right in or should we wait a little bit? Why don't you set that topic up? That's because uh, I thought you had a really interesting uh, kind of idea for this. Yeah. So, yeah, nobody's arguing that a car with windshield wipers is better than one without. <laughs> uh, it certainly is, you know, better to have an instrument rating and, and you know, being, it's also better to own a TBM and uh, you know, have 10,000 hours and, um, you know, it's better to have a lot of things, you know, but, um, but yeah, so the, here's the idea is, you know, I just feel like this has been coming up a lot. Uh, and I'm really, it's really a projection of my own inner struggle. <laughs> so as I mentioned, I got stuck in Shreveport last week, you know, for two nights. Um, I could have gotten out of there, uh, with, you know, I could have just punched through. There was a point where on the second day, if I would have had an instrument rating, I would have gotten out of there. And yet I was stuck, you know, for, for another day. Um, I didn't feel too much pain about it because I was still within the window of time that I had allotted. And that's what you have to do as a VFR pilot is you just, you add buffer to your trips and all this. Um, but I really felt like, oh man, this is, this is that moment that everybody talks about where, you know, you get stuck and you're just thinking, man, if I had an instrument rating, I'd be, you know, I'd be home by now or whatever. All that being said, uh, I had that much more of an amazing kind of adventure and experience by just being stuck somewhere and meeting people and tooling around town. And, you know, like I, I, it wasn't like some miserable thing. I did a lot of planning to make sure I stayed at class Delta or stopped at class deltas the whole time. You know, I wanted to be near civilization as opposed to the Ocracoke incident. Yes. <laughs> so, um, anyway, so the, so the, the conversation, at least that we were having, uh, is around this idea of when to do it um, because I feel like that there are pros and cons to doing it right away, as a lot of people do. I mean, there's a lot of people that have been flying for a year and they're CFIs or CF double I's or whatever. Is that really the best thing? You know, so when you think about the midlife pilot niche in terms of nobody's looking for a career here, we're not on a career track, um, it really forces you to sort of take pause from the noise of, uh, you know, everything that you see and, you know, what everybody else is doing, you kind of have to stop for a second and go, okay, well, I'm not necessarily like all these other people. I have very specific types of missions. Uh, I don't own an airplane. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just in a different spot. So it got me thinking, um, about when to do it. And when I, when I got home, I was, my first thought was, oh man, I'm, I'm doing this right away. I'm doing this right away. Just my instinct was, that was my sign that it's time to get the instrument rating. But then, um, you know, I started really reintroducing my brain to the costs, the time investment, you know, what are the opportunity costs uh, relative to my work or whatever else? Uh, how much energy do I really have to give to it? Um, it's a different type of thing than the private pursuit. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a more heady kind of a thing. Um, and then at the end of the day, what am I really getting for that money? So let's just call it what, like, you know, 12 grand, 14 grand, 10 grand. I don't know. Arguably. I mean, the you could argue the requirements like 
I feel like when I actually jump in to do mine, I'm going to have about 12 hours of instructor, like dual time. I think I can do it in 12 and I've already got all my PIC time, uh, my, you know, my car, my, my PIC, uh, cross country time. And so really it's just the, you know, the long cross country time and then the simulate the hours under the hood. So I don't know. It depends on how cheap your planes are. So sure. I, I, I don't know. I think, I think you probably like, you probably do it for 5,000 or less probably. If you really hustled and had yeah. a good deal on an airplane, which I think you do, and yeah, uh, I, do. I, I definitely do. Um, well, actually, I I I have a reasonable deal. I would have to use one of the training aircraft here. I wouldn't be able to do the. Oh, that's plane, true. That's a good uh, point. It's too far away. So, but anyway, but you know, I was just thinking about it, and I was just you know like, okay, well, why? I kind of questioned myself about the sort of nature of just being pursuant to that, because um, you know, I'm I'm coming up on 200 hours. I've got 100 and 95 hours or something and you know i've got whatever like a hundred hours of cross country or something or more and um i've learned like everything i'm doing right now i'm still learning a lot or getting every time i do something a little bit more beyond my envelope i'm still getting so much back from that i don't feel like i'm in some sort of plateau with everything else there's a lot of mileage to get out of a vfr rating and then i was thinking about it you know just because you have an instrument rating, it's not a ticket to start flying in insane weather. You're still going to be kind of more or less considering weather on the same uh, playing field. You know, you're just going to give yourself a little bit more room, um, you know, to be able to punch through and get out or punch through and get in. And, you know, it's not like a ticket to just everything. Right. So what am I really missing out on? I don't know. You know, I want to do it. I definitely want to do it badly want to do it you'll be a better pilot more accurate pilot uh more disciplined pilot you know better control you know just all the things but um anyway i just thought it was an interesting kind of question because i feel like a lot of people just kind of do it and then i have one more little thing to kind of throw in the mix and i want to get people's feedback and your thoughts as well chris but uh a, a friend of mine who got her private pilot license a couple months after i got mine um she pretty much went right into her instrument uh, and is about done with it now. And, uh, and she said, I was telling her about my, my dilemma. And she said, um, she said, this is what she said. She said, if I were as brave as you to be taking on these long cross country trips (laughs) and really, you know, pushing myself in the way that I see that you've been, Honestly, I probably wouldn't be trying to get my instrument rating right now, but I feel like I need it because I just want to have more training and I just want to be with an instructor more. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I do feel like that there's a subset of people that are not career aspiring pilot people that are kind of like, it's kind of like the people that go to high school and then they've got to go right to college and they've got to go right to grad school. Like they don't want to be out in the real world and take a break you know, you know, people do this sort of, you know, I'm going to take a year, go to Europe or whatever. I feel like in my pilot career, I'm pondering sort of taking a year up a year to Europe or going to like grad school or something. Um, so anyway. Yeah. Uh, I have thoughts. I want to get to a couple of comments uh, and questions first, and then I'll kind of give you my, I'll give you my, where I stand on it. And I have also reevaluated my position in the two years. I'm coming up on two years since I got my private certificate and I have reevaluated my position on it as well. Um, Todd asks, uh, how many hours do you, any 
it puts in parentheses, like it's an important, it's an important addition to the question. How many hours do you realistically need to spend with the CFI to get your instrument? And that's a good question. The, I, the thing about the instrument rating is it is so much knowledge and so much of that knowledge is attainable on your own time through your own study habits and, you know, mechanisms, whatever it may be that works for you. Like there's so much great video content out there now. There's so many great um, audio books and uh, books and materials available that are just um, that are just killing it uh, for kind of the knowledge content part for part 61. You, you only are required to have 15 instruction hours. Well, I had three and a half of those in my private. So, um, and after talking with some of the CFIs that I'm planning to work with, uh, I think it's realistic um, because really what you're doing with the instructor time is you're developing your instrument scan, which is one of the first things you're going to do. So you can spend time with other pilots as just safety pilots under the hood and actually be accomplishing something in that time where you're out flying around without visibility. So you get a good scan established and then you go burn up time, share costs with a friend who can both log um, time and, you know, you can learn, you can work on your scan and do all that. So I think 15 hours is a realistic number. I really do of training time in the aircraft because then once you've got your scan down, you're practicing the various types of approaches, the uh, entries into holds, you know, holding patterns. Here's another big one that people don't think about how, what a big deal it is, is how to use the avionics in the airplane for IFR. Because there is a lot of things with that that make your life so much easier if you know how to get around the your Garmin 430, whatever you have to get around it quickly can make your life much easier. So I think that's a reason I, I do. I believe that's a reasonable time um, uh, with your training materials. Now, back to the original point of I had the same intentions when I got my private in 2020, which was to just immediately start. I thought, man, this is great. I'm going to immediately jump into this. Um, and then life, you know how it is. It was such a relief after you got your private. It was nice to just to like come up and fly just for the fun of it now. Um, but like you mentioned, Brian, I, here's what I'm finding. Uh, I also am in the state where I am. I'm learning new things every time I go on a trip. There's new adventures. You're getting, you're expanding your comfort zone. Every time I fly on a new trip, I'm um, going at times where maybe a year ago I wouldn't have. And because I'm learning, you, you can look at it all you want. Weather, we talked about this the other night, like, um, you can look at cloud coverage and you can do all this stuff and look at the charts and the, you know, until you get in the sky um, and experience how you really need to maneuver around these and how you can do it, you start to really expand your kind of your horizon. I've had two trips recently and uh, with several uh, instances of uh, moderate to heavy precipitation, which a year ago would have scared the pants off of me. Um, and then you do it a couple of times and say, well, you know, I mean, this the plane still flies in the rain. I mean, it's, you know, it's, there's nothing wrong with this. Um, so, but here's where I'm going to be at a better place. Let's say I start my instrument training officially now, a couple hundred hours later, two years later, the things I don't have to think about or that are far less workload for me now, like maintaining an altitude and heading, knowing how to trim the airplane and get the power settings right and the speeds right and how to control the plane and how things should work. And all of the things that for the first year or two, took so much more brain uh, brain intensity that now I just have to, um, those are just natural. And I can really focus the energy on um, the new stuff, 
the procedures, the, you know, the, the holds and the stuff that's going to be the hardest for me, um, taking reroutes from ATC, like, you know, just all of the things that are new experiences all while not being able to look, you know, outside the airplane. So I've changed my position a little bit now it's an individual thing for, to each their own. Like you said, some people want that break and some people would rather keep the structured um, instruction going. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer that globally applies to everyone. But for me, yeah. the, it was, I can't imagine now doing it any other way. I can't imagine starting my instrument training at the place I was as a pilot the day after my check ride right. compared to the place I am today. I can't yes. imagine starting my training at that point. Or just, or it's kind of like, if you did, how much would you, you could have made it through obviously, but how much would you have really gotten out of it versus what you would get out of it, you know, or what you will get out of it when you do it, you know, with that time in between, if you don't have to do it, right, then maybe this is a valid point towards uh, giving it a minute, you know, because yeah, like, I don't, I think about where I was with just, uh, air traffic control communications, mm -hmm. um, even after my check ride, you know, it, there's only so many cross countries I'd been on. There's only so much flight following and getting vectored around and weird anomalous things that kind of come up, you know, um, and, you know, after all the cross country time that I have now, I feel completely comfortable with everything to do with communications. And I don't have, there's no, it doesn't even really tax me or, or it's nothing I'm worried about or think about. Like, it's right. just, you just do it and it's fine. And, you know, I, but I do think about at you know, when I was at 60 hours, you know, that was, I was still my processing, even though I was comfortable with a lot of these things, my processing time was still pretty slow. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so I feel like I would get much more out of it now. Um, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, there's just, I feel like I'm a, yeah, like what you were saying about just being able to fly the air, airplane and like what Carrie uh, uh, McCauley was talking about, the ferry pilot, when he was talking about flying by feel. Um, you know, this is what I've been kind of really working on is just giving myself more opportunities to just fly the airplane just in the purest form, like, you know, like a kid in the cul-de-sac with a bike that just learned how, like now I'm going to start getting on the trails and start kind of, I don't know, I'm just going to start you know, pushing myself just with the relationship of myself to the machine and really trying to, you know, because I think that when you're just out of check ride time, you're still, you're not one with the machine yet. Uh, and I just feel like I continually, I mean, every trip I take, especially the longer trips, um, when I'm flying, you know, two or three hour legs and, you know, all that, I just feel like I really am much more in tune with the machine, which I think will obviously only help me as well. But Yes, it's not a it's not a black or white thing. Right. Stinky Weasel One says all three CFIs that I've flown with had unanimously told me to go straight into instrument training. Even had a schedule planned out before the regionals scooped them up. We uh we had several of our uh club instructors uh good for them get uh get good jobs at regional airlines. So um that's been interesting. But yeah, that's uh that is uh that is one way to go uh, to go about it. I'm not a skeptic, but I, I look through that and I go, okay, well, of course they're making out a schedule, right? Like they want you to continue training, the, you know, like I'm not trying to be a cynic here, but I'm just saying like one side of that could also be they're projecting their own thing because they've gone through the path of being a CFI. Sure. And they just, it's like everybody else should be a CFI. 
Ben Singer had an interesting uh, response to your take kind of take on um, when you said, you know, what am I, what am I missing really from, uh, from it? And he said, the lost opportunities is what will hurt the most. And I, I mean, I think that is true. I think it's like, I think of how many days I have not been able to go somewhere because of like you mentioned, like it's one layer that you've got to pop through. You'd be in the clouds for about 32 seconds for your entire trip. Uh, but you can't fly because of the, uh, the inability to get out of there. You know, what's funny is that when I read that, you know what I thought he was talking about? What's that? I thought he was talking about, um, uh, when I was talking about sort of opportunity cost of, of work relative to, <laughs> I thought he was talking about like the financial oh, cost. I don't think so. Opportunity uh, to fly. Foodhead says, I'm not sure I completely understand the difference between comfort zone and complacency complacency. Yeah, that's I think that I think that is the constant struggle. Like, um, maybe not quite that for me. Like it is like I keep talking about, you know, it sounds like I'm saying, boy, the more I fly, the more risks I take. You know, it's it's almost what it sounds like, but that's not what it is. What I mean, I think what I'm saying is um, like everyone hopefully starts pretty conservatively early on as you should overly probably. Um, and then you experience one new thing on this flight and say, Oh, I understand how that, I mean, how would your minimums ever change then? Like I'm, I'm definitely willing to land in different wind conditions today than I was two years ago, or, you know, I'm definitely willing to accept, um, a couple miles less visibility than I was two years ago because the experience breeds, an understanding of how these things work. And, um, you know, you, I think there's, um, I think it's okay to get out of your, I think it's okay to push yourself a little bit. Um, but also understanding your limitations. And I think that's again, an individual thing. Different people are going to have different pace with that. And, um, mine was pretty slow. Truthfully. I mean, when I look back at my training time, when I was solo endorsed, I wouldn't fly on a cross country trip. There were seven knot winds, like, 10 degrees off the runway and I'm texting my instructor. Like, I don't feel like I should go. And that was the one lesson where Tyler texted me back and said, like, you're never going to make it. You're never going to be a pilot. Um, if you don't fly this airplane today, like basically was the point. And I think, you know, you need people knowledgeable to like, kind of give you those moments that say like, okay, I'm okay, you know, and, and then go experience it. So, yeah, I love that. Um, that point, the, that's almost like a, an episode worthy topic, just this, comfort zone versus uh you know it's like comfort zone versus killing zone right right it's uh it's it's an endless uh topic because it really is something where if i feel like this can be one of the same like complacency can be uh just your comfort zone may be disguised as complacency or vice versa and i want to just claim too that i'm not i am not encouraging people to like go do things that they're not comfortable with. Like, that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying for me personally, it became a thing that as I had more experiences intentionally or not, like I'm going somewhere and then the winds aren't what they were forecast in my destination. And I had to land in a condition that I, you know, and I'm like, Oh, I see. So that's what an eight knot crosswind feels like, you know what I mean? Like you, you, you kind of get into these things and that, that how else do you learn? I mean, I don't know how else you really fully, um, kind of grasp that until you experience these things. Kind of like what Todd's asking now in the chat, not to ask all the questions he says, but wondering how willing you are to go VFR over the top without an instrument rating. I can think of at least 
four cross country trips where I've spent at least uh, half an hour or more with no ground visibility. Um, and I, inc- including, uh, except I had visibility. I don't want to, I, I had visibility as a student pilot. My first long cross country to the, I took, not was my second one to the Greenbrier to Lewisburg. The clouds ended up being more extensive than I thought. I never lost contact with the ground on that trip, but like I had to change, change my planned altitude to get above them, which was not in my plan. Like when I left that day, um, but I made the decision to do it. I'm less worried about that because I think that in an emergency, um, I could manage that now. I don't know that I would have been as comfortable right afterwards for like long periods of time, spending time on top of the cloud. It depends on where I'm at to the train. I wouldn't do a mountain crossing in that condition, probably where there's really nowhere to go in an emergency. But I think with a reasonable flight plan and um, options below, I feel like if I had to get vectored somewhere and I had to punch through at this stage, I, I could do it in an absolute emergency if I had to. Yeah, I'm 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 a little less than that <laughs> for that one. I mean, I've I've done you know for me it's like um, I consider it the same way. I evaluate ceilings for my minimums to go or no go anyway, and if it's in the uh, broken you know, or overcast category and I'm not going above them probably. <laughs> um, I got to be able to see the ground. Uh, and then I need to know that things are trending towards not closing up, but I, but I still haven't really done that. Uh, yeah. So I, I have an interesting circumstance, the flight path that I've been taking the most from West Virginia to the East coast, there is invariably a section between here and there on one side of the mountain Ridge or the other, where there is a pocket of, of clouds and you can see it from miles away. So, you know, you're approaching it. And then there's a brief period of time where you, I have found myself in a, over an area where I did not have reasonable ground contact, uh, for a period, but I'm always checking ahead. Like if I, I wouldn't go, I wouldn't set out on a mission if I looked like the entire East coast was going to be that way where I couldn't get down later. But typically it's really, it's like no clouds or like, you know, broken scattered, then a bunch of clouds like on one side or the other of the mountain, depending on the winds and the, you know, the other conditions. And then it clears up again on the other side and then it's, I can, you know, it's fine the rest of the way. So I, I would not just barge out into a trip where like the last two and a half hours of my trip was questionable yeah. and the whole East coast was under, undercover. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Uh, uh, one dog geek had a question about, uh, to me about if you're not going to pursue your instrument rating, then what are you going to do to keep yourself learning through the killing zone? Well, so let's just be clear. I'm not saying I'm not going to pursue the rating. I'm just saying I'm, I'm, I think I'm inclined to continue to delay getting that rating. Um, and what I'm going to do in the meantime to keep learning is to do exactly what I've been doing. I mean, because ultimately um, I'm keeping up with my night currency I'm, you know, going on long cross countries. I'm challenging myself, uh, you know, in all those ways. And there's still actually some things I'd like to do just with an instructor. Um, you know, uh, I'd like to go down to Sewanee and, and train and do uh, upset recovery and spin training or, you know, there's, there's just so much stuff that you can do mm-hmm. that's really ambitious learning. Yeah, wheel. Right. Yeah. Like all within the scope of uh, the VFR sphere. So, you know, 
there's there's plenty to do there. And as far and I got as my high performance endorsement, you know, that was a right. thing. That was yeah, a complex, that was learning. whatever. Yeah. And then um, you know, and as far as the the killing zone part of it goes, you know, um I I mean, to be totally honest, I feel like if you know, other people might disagree with this and that's fine. I feel like possibly the safest if i'm really thinking about man i've got to make it to 300 hours you know or 350 or whatever it is you know i've got to get i've got to get another 150 hours unscathed <laughs> somehow i really do feel like uh tending tending toward vfr conditions and continuing to build on the types of skills that i'm building on are probably some of the safest things i can possibly be doing and ultimately you know imc uh, you know, you're looking at then introducing the variables of icing uh, and other things, you know, so I don't know, maybe it's this, maybe it's the safer way, you know, I don't know, but oh, it's, I'm not saying it's safer to not have an instrument. Ready. For sure. Just, no, absolutely not. I'm right. just saying like in the near term specific to this question, it's like, I don't know, maybe that's the, maybe it's fine. If I'm being honest and evaluate, trying to evaluate myself honestly, and humans by nature are terrible at self, you know, kind of self-evaluating. So it's not like even when you're trained to like, like you are as a pilot to evaluate yourself, it's still very hard to do. I feel like I am as safe of a pilot today as I've ever been. Like, no, well, maybe not when I have eight tenths of an hour and then airplane in the last six weeks, maybe not. But like I, when I took, when we took the one fifty out, we didn't video. Cecilia went with me the other day. We went out and just did some maneuvers. So we took a great takeoff. We went out to the practice area. We did got flight falling in the practice area, did some steep turns and some stuff. And I thought, boy, those were on point. Like I nailed my, we went through our, we flew through our own wake both times on steep turns. I was like, you know, right on point. Um, came in for landing we did three or four landings I had stallhorn blaring on every one of them i mean it was it was right on the touchdown point cecilia even commented like that was those all were dead like on the center line like i mean so i'm just saying i and and like like you mentioned the feel of the airplane stuff obviously applies less when you're an imc and you got the hood on because you know you don't don't trust your feel but like just flying vfr i'm just finding every time i go that it's um I just understand aerodynamically what's happening to this airplane. And I just think it's from repetition and the time I've spent alone. I don't think you, we talk about learning all the time. Learning happens with or without an instructor, with or without a book. I mean, like every time you go experience something new, whether in aviation or otherwise, it's a, you're learning things if you're doing it, you know, intentionally. And I, I just believe strongly that I, I'm a safe today um, just from my gained experiences over the last 200 hours that I've ever been. Like I, I just, I really believe that I'm as safe as I've ever been. It's my two cents. Yeah. I, I think, um, I think also for some people, uh, like I was saying, it's like being in the training environment for just a longer span is just really welcome for some people. I do miss, do you miss training sometimes? Do you, do you ever have like a, yeah. 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 There's something to that sort of mode, you know, but you gotta be up for it. Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing. I don't want to mess around with it. The, the other reason I haven't got serious about it is I know I don't have the bandwidth right now to commit and I'm right. not going to screw around and half do it. I mean, because I mean, the other thing is, I mean, this is, I'm not being, I, I could probably half do it. You, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. 
learn what I needed to learn to pass the written, mm-hmm. get get my flying stuff enough and go take the check ride and probably do it. But I don't I don't want to have to. I want to do it like I did my private, which was all in, committed, like doing it to the best of my ability. So that's kind of why I'm waiting for the um for yeah. the appropriate moment. Um the, the well and Wendell Geek's got you know he's gonna have the video series and uh yeah. Josh who's usually in here he's he's well on his way there's a lot of people that are gonna be uh doing that so we can let people get ahead of us Chris and then see what what mistakes they make and then not repeat them one dog geek says uh, the fact that both of you guys aren't ready to start instrument means I've got a ton of time to complete my video series. That's right. And, and but just don't wait too long. Cause I need to use it. My, I need to use it to help me through my, my training. We can, we can return the favor here this time, Mark, like uh, um, I'll, I'll watch your series for that. Um, there's a couple questions about um, flight simulators as training aids. Foodhead asks, uh, what do you guys think of Microsoft flight simulators, a training tool? And then um, Fowler's talking about an X-Plane fan, but not for hand coordination, but for procedures, flows, and radios, which I totally agree. Here's my, I've been an X-Plane simmer forever. That's actually, I was doing that years before I became a pilot. And uh, one thing that was shocking to me when I flew for real was how much you just don't know what it feels like until you're in the real plane. And part of that, there's so many technical reasons for that. And things are getting better. It depends on how much money you want to spend on a sim. Like you can get proper yokes now that have like the full travel range of a real one. But like my Logitech yoke has a travel range. It's about five or six inches. Like you can't gauge. I mean, it's compressed into such a small, like every move, like you, you go to rotate on the runway in 172 and the things like, you know, stall, like your nose is, <laughs> um, 30 degrees up in the air. So there definitely is a feel thing, but I think when you, especially during instrument training, which I'm sure is what you're asking about here, like when you don't have to worry about the outside look, when it's really less about the flying the plane and how it feels as it is like tracking a VOR, like setting up for an approach, flying the right, I mean, and that stuff, especially if you pair it with a service, uh, like pilot edge, the online air traffic control, um, paid service, um, where you can actually go do instrument flights and instrument approaches and they will actually do, I mean, you're provided with real controller services like, you know, vectors to your, I mean, it's, it's the real deal. Set your visibility the way you want it. So you're not even, can't see it's, you know, set your, set the clouds to minimums and go fly some approaches. Um, I think for instrument training, there's a ton to be gained. And if you've got the money to spend, I don't know how many of you have looked around at it, but I mean, the stuff that folks are making real sim gear and some of these other folks are making accessories. If you've got the money to invest, like you can build a cockpit. I mean, you can get your real Garmin G40, you know, four thirty, five thirty sets, or even the new Garmin avionics panels, G fives. I mean, you can build a thing in front of you that is the realest thing you can imagine. Pairs with four flight. You can use your iPad. I mean, it's, um, it's pretty wild and I think pretty beneficial for instrument. I've never used a flight simulator in my entire life. Oh no, no, wait. Back in 1983 or 84, my dad had an Osborne computer. I don't know if you remember those had like the Amber screen. It's like Mm -hmm. a little five inch Mm -hmm. Amber screen with the giant floppies, five and a quarter inch floppies. It had a flight simulator. And I remember playing on that as a kid, but that's about it. So yeah, I, I don't know anything about that world, but it seems like, I mean, the, the flight school up here has a, 
uh, $50 an hour certified sim, you know, that I can apply towards training. So that's another way I could, you know, definitely get what 10, you can do 10 hours, I think. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, for the stuff that matters, I mean, if you know how to fly the airplane, I mean, the, st- the stuff that you can knock out in a sim, you know, programming the avionics, learning how to, you know, fly, enter, enter a hold the right way and fly your holds, timed, timed holds or whatever. I mean, you can, that stuff is, it's very worth the uh, cost savings, I think, to do in a simulator, a certified simulator like that. Take your instructor with you and yeah. um, it's, it's very beneficial. So I, I, we don't have one locally that I know of. Um, or I would probably consider that as well for some of my time, but yeah. Um, so what is on your shirt, by the way, this is, uh, I'm repping my buddy, uh, angle of attack. Oh yeah. This is one of his, uh, merch wares. It says Bushin and it's got a, it's got a image of his, um, uh, 172. Actually, it's not his 172 because this is a tailwheel, and his is a nose wheel with big bush bush planes on it. November two four two three uniform, up in uh, Homer, Alaska. Check him out if you haven't. Chris Palmer at angleofattack.com. Speaking of training resources, he does he has a whole series of training resources as well as a cool YouTube channel. So, yeah, he puts out great stuff. Uh, Mike Hines said, "Where's the sim near me?" Uh, at John Toon, uh, I'm near John Toon Airport, and uh, I go to Harmony Air. Uh, is where I trained. And so they've got a simulator there. You can find them at harmonyair.com. I don't want to mispronounce. Uh, how would you pronounce his name? Ban Rear? Bon, bon Rear bon Cardo. Just got my private pilot certificate in July and decided to reward myself for 100 hours with a tailwheel endorsement. But I agree with Chris. I can't commit the time I would want to for instrument right now. Yep, that is the boat. That is the boat that I am in. If I can only manage eight tenths of an hour in a six week period, I am not equipped to be doing uh, serious instrument training right now. Yeah, it's tough because I, there's a fine line between broadening yourself out of curiosity. Like the tailwheel endorsement's a great example. It's like I'm probably not going to have access to or be flying any tailwheels. So if I got that endorsement, it'd be like great. I have a tailwheel endorsement that now I can't really maintain any proficiency with because I don't really actually have access to one of those planes. And then I think about instrument rating the same. It's like, you know, if you got, you got every six months you have to do, you know, meet your requirements and you have, you have this other thing you've got to nurture and maintain. It's not just get the rating and you're done. That's right. And, uh, and then if you don't, I guess, what is it? If you, if you go a year and really slack on it, then you've actually got to go back to a, do a review with a CFI and, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of boxes to check and i wouldn't want to be that's not one that i would want to be slopping around with anyway where right. it's like you know oh yeah i've got my instrument rating i haven't used it for months but now today's the day i'm just going to do that and it's like you know i i would want to make sure that i was ready to commit to staying on top of it um and being good at flying that way if i was going to do it oh yeah thanks mike hans yeah I'm, I, I i've been reaching out to Catherine and Sawani, and i i just haven't been able to catch her she's a very busy person uh she's the one that's got the uh, she, she does the spin training and upset recovery and all that and i have heard good things about ron dillard in lebanon as well so by the way in tennessee we don't call things by their proper names like you see where it says lebanon but that's the quick way to get outed as a not local it's Leb- lebanon lebanon uh vincent Carbonara says, my CFI says it's best to learn IFR on a plane equipped with G1000 since it's easier. True or false? 
I think it's best to learn on whatever you're going to be flying after you get your rating. So I would tend to think that if you're going to be flying a G1000, then probably best. Um, I'm spoiled in that the planes that I'm going to be flying uh, are both equipped with G5s and have, you know, I know that's not the latest and greatest, but it definitely, just in my hood time so far, is a tremendous situational awareness booster. When you talk about an in- instrument scan on an old analog six pack, which is, you know, you've got to develop your scan pattern or whatever, but on a plane equipped with G5, your scan is basically this instrument. Like everything is condensed into like a three mm. inch by three inch square. Mm. Everything you need is in front of you pretty much all the time. And uh, so, you know, uh, I, my advice would be, and this, again, I'm not a professional, nor am I an instructor giving instruction advice, but I would think that flying on whatever is closely resembles what you're going to fly after you're done would be what I would. Yeah, suggest. that's that's ultimately the practical answer. I mean, and the other thing too is I've actually thought about this uh, same kind of issue with respect to an autopilot. Um, it, you know, the, I, you know, you guys can tell me that are down the road with instrument or have your instrument rating, but it seems like having an autopilot would be an incredible help <laughs> to, to, uh, to doing all that. Uh, at the same time, there's probably a lot of value in getting the, the skill and the discipline and the focus of hand flying it. So, uh, congratulations. Another, another newly minted private in the chat tonight. Oh, uh, Lido six, 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 just wanted to share. I got my private pilot certificate on Monday. Wow. Congratulations. Two days, two days old. Yeah. We should have like a check ride confessionals or something on here. Um, that's great. Uh, yeah, Mike that's really great. good point too, is that, uh, he says tailwheel helped with rudder control. had gotten lazy with rudder trim. Well, mm-hmm. I have rudder trim in one of my two planes, but yeah, that's uh, not my plane, two planes, two planes that I fly. Um, but yeah, I've heard that from everybody I've talked to. And my buddy, Tyler Lucas, who you guys might remember from my uh, training, my instructor for my private, uh, he owns a Cetabria and has been begging, an aerobatic Cetabria, and is begging me to go with him. He wants me to work on my tailwheel and he wants me to fly aerobatically. And I'm like, mm, we'll see. But uh, I, I would like to do my tailwheel. I think, I think there's a ton of benefit from that. Uh, I think there's a ton of great lessons from learning to fly a tailwheel. Yeah. And that's what I think is interesting, right? Like it's, it's a, there's the pragmatism of a rating as far as fly what you're going to fly or what you have access to, but then there's the interdisciplinary value of having gone through particular experiences. I mean, spin training is not a rating necessarily, but it's like, I guarantee that after I've gone through that, it's not going to be something I'm being, I'm going to be pursuant to do all the time, Right. but having been through it, I will have something that I can kind of carry with me and, and, and yeah, that'll right. be good. Assuming I survive. Yeah. Oh, you'll survive. Pear, baby. Pear. Pear. No, the um the woman who's uh I don't she's got the world record for uh what is it? Uh she's got it's on video. I think it's a yeah, I think it's a world record. Uh for what, she, most spins? Uh yeah, uh, Mike Hines will know. Um yeah. This is what I'm saying, man. I, I really, it's like, I want to have one hell day with, uh, with Catherine and just come out of that. Like I survived it. It's kind of expensive. You know, it's sort of like one of those, it's like an $800 a day or something. Um, but I mean, you know, maybe she'll 
just give you a discount if you just spin only 10 times <laughs> <laughs> or if you just don't puke in her plane. Oh my gosh. Uh, have you ever, have you had a, have you had a passenger get sick yet? Uh, no, but I will. Uh, no. <laughs> I, well, there's a story. I don't want to out anybody, but there's a story, um, of the night before my check ride. So I was, um, was I the was night before my check. I was very worked up as I get and was super stressed, uh, about my check ride. And it had been postponed a bunch of times. It had been, we did the oral and then the flight portion was postponed three or four times. And, um, he may be, he may hear this. My buddy, Tyler, um, my instructor had taken someone else out in five two Lima the day before my check ride for a flight. And I came in the next morning. I had to take it to Clarksburg for my check rides. So of course I was here early, like, you know, hours before I was had to leave. I just wanted to be here and around. And, um, I opened the door to the plane and I could just smell vomit. Oh. And I texted Tyler and I said, what happened to this airplane? He said, oh, I thought we cleaned it all. And then I, I proceeded and I had, I apologized to him profusely because he's like the nicest person in the entire world. I, I love Tyler. I lost my mind on him. <laughs> it was a profanity lace. I, it was like one of those, like, how could you do this to me on check? Like, how could you do, I got to go pick up a DP. Like, how could you do this to me? Innocent bystander. I was convinced that my, it was over. Like I, I should just cancel. I talked, I thought I'm just going to call him and cancel. I can't, I can't do this. And so he, he said, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I said, I want you to go to Walmart buy every cleaning <laughs> supply that you can find and get here like right now. And he did. And we went through that airplane, um, you know, vacuumed the carpets and the seats and like, you know, deodor. I mean, we went, uh, crazy and, um, Needless to say, everything was fine and it went fine. And I apologize profusely for my behavior. There's no excuse for that. But I was so already, I was on a line, you know, and like it didn't take yeah. much for me to just break. And that was it. I was like, of all days, like that's, as far as I know, it's the only time anyone has ever been sick in this airplane in its history. And uh, it was literally like 18 <laughs> hours before my check ride. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, right now, anyway, that's my <laughs> I, never, story I can't believe though. we never heard about this before. Yeah, this is, this I, I, I don't stuff. tell it because you know I, I don't want to. Yeah, it's this is fun. the kind of stuff that I really want people to put in their YouTube videos. I'm so tired of all this sanitized stuff, right? Like I want. Oh, well, there it is. Actually, well, sanitized is double meaning here, but exactly. um, but I mean, that's. I thought that you were going to tell me that uh, not only did the plane smell of vomit, and then you yell at Tyler. But then I thought you were going to go into a, a, I thought it was going to be one of those. And then I started cleaning it and then the smell got me sick. And then I was throwing up or something. I asked the, I asked the examiner after we got back um, <laughs> and he's like, I didn't smell a thing. I said, thank God. Cause I was so stressed about it. Gosh. Yeah, hey, Todd, just... Todd has a check ride on Saturday. Todd says my check ride is Saturday. I'm already stressed about how stressed I'm going to get. Yeah. I will say I've told people before I way over, I way overstressed. It was one of the greatest experiences. I mean, it was, it was so positive on all fronts and uh, it's impossible not to get worked up. Like how often in your adult life are you really examined in a way that's as thorough as this, you know, with a knowledge and a performance test. I mean, it's, yeah. it is a lot, but it really um, with the right DPE, it really is a good experience. 
yeah, it's also just kind of, um, I think the, one of the ways I kind of packaged it in my mind that I try to tell people is I say, ultimately you want a good evaluation. You want to be put through that because you want to know that you're worthy of the certificate and that you're going to keep people safe in your family right. and your friends and whatever. And so just, you know, avail yourself to that examination from a human perspective and then take your shots, you know, do, do the best you can. And, um, you know, I mean, don't sabotage yourself by, you know, saying, boy, I really screwed that up or, you know, right, anything like right. that. Or, boy, that's pretty off, huh? But, you know, ultimately it's a realistic evaluation uh, for you to keep your friends and family safe and yourself safe and other people safe. And, uh, you know, just um, the outcome will be whatever it is. And ultimately you're going to, you're not going to just fail the first thing that he asks you to do. Uh, you might fail like one of the last things, who knows, it might happen. It happens to people all the time, but either way, <laughs> you're going to get a whole bunch of it. You know, if you just think of it as like a laundry list of to do's, you're going to get a lot of that to do list done. Yeah. And you know, so that's the worst case scenario is you get a bunch of stuff done towards your license. Well, Brian, thank you for podcasting uh, with me tonight. Uh, hey, thanks for allowing th me to be here. And thank you to everyone in the chat. As a reminder, if you're listening to this audio podcast, you can join us every other Wednesday night at eight o'clock uh, PM Eastern and uh join us on youtube uh in the, uh, the midlife pilot channel just uh join us there subscribe and uh turn on the bell to be notified so you don't miss an episode this is how you interact with us on the show is by being with us live and so we love the uh love the interaction um i'm going to ask this and then we're going to leave are we um did you want to say anything about the next episode or are we going to wait and do that later because we don't really know yet Oh, we've been talking about it for a while because we keep kicking the can down here because of schedule availabilities and such. But um, I have reasonable confidence that uh, we'll be joined on the next episode by uh, SoCal Flying Monkey, Eric. Uh, and I think that that's going to be be awesome. So, um, you know, to have a, a room full of weird, creative, gearhead, video, filmmaking, uh, flight nerds, uh, it, it, it'll be a... a a blast i think uh to have him on and i'm super stoked about i don't know it's just one of those things where it's like oh, i have so many questions to ask you <laughs> you know what i mean so right and i'm sure that everybody here will too so make sure you, you, you get here for the live version of that for sure thank you again everyone we will see you in two weeks uh on the midlife pilot podcast 